Hi everyone and welcome to Empathy Gaps, an online video podcast focused on creating a safe space to discuss mental health and psychology while also working to address the needs of the current mental health crisis. I'm Tiffany Zing, your host, and today we have a very special guest, Barbara Royer. Dr. Royer is the founder and CEO of MusicWorks, a consulting agency that leads a group of music therapists and Resounding Joy, a nonprofit that seeks to uplift others through music therapy. Additionally, Dr. Royer was the past president of the American Music Therapy Association. In 2008, she was awarded the American Music Therapy Association National Professional Practice Award, as well as the prestigious American Music Therapy Association Lifetime Achievement Award. Dr. Royer, Thank you so much for being here today and taking the time to join me. Before we start, is there anything else that you want to add regarding to what you do and who you are? No, that makes me tired. I, I think <laughs> you're doing good. Thank you. Thank you. Nice so, yeah. Um, great. So my first question is based on something I'm very curious about. So how do you balance between being the CEO and founder of such like amazing companies and organizations and nonprofits? Um, I, uh, it's, it's been a journey learning how to balance that, but I, I work a lot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because they're both, you know, full pledged, uh, companies, but I have a great staff on and a great team <clears throat> on in, in each company. Mm-hmm. That's great that you have that. I think that's great what you said. And I like having like a support kind of a supportive team around you to make sure that you are able to balance two things because I'm a high school student and I feel like sometimes I can't, I can't even balance like my six to seven classes. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's great to hear that you have such a supportive team behind you. And I guess like my next question would be like, can you talk a little bit about the process of starting and establishing a company? And I guess like how that differs from establishing a nonprofit? Mm, okay. Well, um, I founded Music Works in 1987, so it's been around now for 36 some years. And <clears throat> Resounding Joy I founded it in 2004, so we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. So they're um, different and similar, um, both uh, whether it's for profit or nonprofit. Uh, it you know it takes a lot of work and dedication to getting those companies off the ground. Um, with uh, Music Works, we focus primarily on working with um, uh, uh, hosp- contract or services out to various organizations. So hospitals, hospices, schools, uh, substance abuse centers, eating disorders, and older adult communities. And <clears throat> we provide anywhere from one hour to 20 hours uh, to an agency, depending on who they are and what they do. And Resounding Joy, uh, most of that is driven by uh, grants and individual donations, corporate and foundations um, with a resounding joy. The difference between that is how um, money is handled and what the obligation of fiduciary responsibilities are uh, with that company, because you um, it's not a company that I own. I founded it, but it belongs to the community. And therefore, uh, there's a huge responsibility when um, individuals donate money uh, that you have to be account you know accountable to and for mm-hmm. that's so that's so interesting to hear and i guess like kind of pivoting from <clears throat> companies and nonprofits to music therapy which i know you are really established in um i guess like my question would be like what is music therapy's impact on patients and inside clinical care like especially regarding those with terminal illnesses as well as people who are neurodiverse like what mm-hmm. would the kind of well, I mean, um, <clears throat> music is a powerful tool uh, that you can use. And so, so many different ways that music therapists use use music, uh, whether you're working, if so, if you're working with a child with neurodiverse 
diagnoses, whether it's autism or some other um, rare congenital disorder. Um, you use music with children, and especially in the school setting, uh, to work towards communication, academic, motor, social skills, and music is the stimulus for that. And then uh, if it's written into the child's education plan, then you try to follow those guidelines and how best to use uh, music to generalize to their learning. Um, if you're using music with uh, end of life, then of course it's it's going to be a different approach there. Um, it can be everything from being with the family and the individual who's passing away and at that very end of life moment, or it's helping uh, the family and the individual through maybe a legacy uh, project or a process uh, uh, for that um, end of life moment. And it can be everything from songwriting to uh, just uh, making music together to using music as the conversational uh, focus in doing the legacy work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like music is such a such a like powerful tool to bring people together, like not only for music therapy, but music in general, just like bringing people together or like, I guess like an example would be like being in a choir, like singing with other people. Like, I feel like it's definitely very uniting and stuff. And obviously, I saw like one of your interviews before and how you said like music therapy is not an art, but also a science. Like, I think music therapy definitely like like as you said like it's not only in art but in science but it is backed by science and research so it has that ability to kind of i guess like impact those positively regarding those with illnesses as well as people who are neurodiverse mm -hmm. so i guess my next kind of question would be like how have hospitals doctors nurses and clinicians adapted music therapy to complement their clinical care um I, I don't know if they do it individually um you know as far as the clinical care but our place uh, in the hospital setting, uh, we get referrals for uh, either pain management, anxiety, depression, um, uh, even sometimes boredom um, as well. But usually, it's for you know some clinical uh, issue that's going on for the client, and um, uh, so we go into the room and then work with the patient with that focus in mind. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. it can be you know it's a form it can be a form of expression. I can help divert the pain. Uh, we've uh, sometimes go in and do what we call um, procedural support. So if there is a uh, an, an invasive procedure that might hurt, uh, sometimes we'll get referrals uh, to come in and help distract using music as the tool mm -hmm. to do that, uh, especially if the patient has a difficult time with that procedure. Mm -hmm. Very popular with little kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw on, I don't know if you've seen like the same video as me before but I remember once I saw on YouTube there was I can't exactly remember but I think it was like a guy he was going through chemotherapy and obviously like chemo going through chemotherapy is very tough and he said that he was super nervous and anxious before going into like chemotherapy and once he I don't know if it was like the hospital supporting it, but there was like this musician playing guitar and he was kind of playing like a calmer song. And I guess like once hearing that song, he like burst into tears because it just like kind of, he was really anxious, but it also helped to calm him down. So he was just like so moved and so touched by it that he just like started crying before chemotherapy. And I thought that that was interesting because like it really shows you how powerful music is. Like even though him just like listening to a song wasn't I guess like direct like intentional music therapy it still was able to be super powerful yeah yeah uh -huh. and so, I mean not all people but most people I'd say 
uh, at least 95% of the people respond to music in some way. And, you know, some usually in some positive way, um, if you use music appropriately for uh, whatever area that you're trying to prescribe the music and use it for. And we have some kind of association to music, whether we're, you know, growing up you know, at different age stages in your life, you'll have different exp experiences with music. And uh, they say uh, when working with uh, uh, clients that have um, Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and or uh, dementia of some form, uh, using music that they listen to and use between the ages of 18 to 26. So there's research that supports that is probably the most powerful music to use with that because um, it triggers a memory um, that will help that client engage with the therapist or the loved one. Mm -hmm. that's so that's so interesting to hear and I guess like all of this talk about like music and like it's healing and how healing it is I know you've probably heard of the phrase music is medicine I guess like what are your thoughts on that yeah I mean I think music can be used as um medicine and you know whether it is to help calm you or or help with pain management. Uh, sometimes you don't need the pill or the medication, but the music can be the stimulus to help with that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, also I've heard of another super popular phrase, music is a universal language. And I think both of those just kind of show you, I guess like the power of music. I know it's so cliche, but like music is definitely very powerful of soul's well music therapy. And I guess like, do you believe in that? Like in some ways music slash music therapy is more powerful than medicine or like why or why not? I, you know, I, um, it's sort of like East meets West, you know, at mm -hmm. bringing uh, the different ideas and concepts together. I don't know if it's more, I can't say that it's more powerful, mm -hmm. but I think it works really well um, mm -hmm. in the medical setting and the, the hospice setting. Uh, it's a, when, uh, when a music therapist uses the right music for a patient, uh, it really helps in that um, process of healing, as you call it, or helps with um the patient being able to express themselves if they need to do that. Cause sometimes it's just um, uh, it's finding the right song or the, or the right way of helping a patient express themselves. Sometimes um, talk uh, music works better than talk therapist because the music stimulates the conversation or helps mm -hmm. a patient emote. Um, but we like to work together, you know, with our social workers and our psychologists and the doctors and nurses so that we have a good uh, outcome with the patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that music, um, I think that music can also, like, I feel like when people think of people, when people think of like medicine or like treatments, they usually think of like pills, I guess, or like some other kind of like medicine. I feel like music is not something that comes to mind, but I feel like music and medicine have a lot of similarities because like both can, I guess, like in a way heal phys like um, mental illnesses also like possibly like physical diseases as well as help like alleviate the soul I guess so I feel like mm -hmm. um music and medicine have a lot of similarities as well as differences which I think is super cool and interesting like you don't think of music like people think of music as something more like people think of music something more as like something you just like do like whether it be listening or singing but not something that can actually like not something that can actually be compared to medicine, I guess, in a way, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. But. Well, you know, I think uh, to help uh, with that is 
you know, a lot of, you think of music education and you think of music therapy. And, you know, so in music education, you talked about the choirs. If you're, you know, I did a lot of choral work and in the choral work, you're, you're working towards the end goal, right? You're working towards the product, whatever that is, the performance uh, in front of an audience. And in music therapy, when you're using music as the tool, you're not necessarily working towards um, the end product. What you're really focused on is the process throughout the therapy session, you know, and depending on what diagnoses you work with, that process might be different and the outcomes might be different. You know, whether you're working with children, working with with individuals that have, have dementia, you're working with someone with Parkinson's, you're working with uh, a, a behavioral health group, they all have different processes. Uh, and you use music to help facilitate those goals, whatever that they might be. Mm -hmm. So, Talking like expanding on music and it's kind of like benefits. This is kind of like a bigger question, but do you believe that like music therapy can be used to help, I guess, like alleviate with the current mental health crisis, like not like completely solve it, but just like kind of help it in a way, like help alleviate it? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, you know, if you think about, um, you know, obviously the mental health crisis it has been going on for a while, but I think COVID really brought mm -hmm. it to the the forefront, but probably exacerbated it a little bit uh, because so many people were homebound, shut in and isolated. And uh, music, you know, uh, you can music, you can have isolating experience with music, but usually if music is uh, 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 facilitated by a music therapist who's uh, trying to help people express themselves, uh, you can use music to help uh, engage people within, you know, a lot of times if, you, if you're doing work in behavioral health, you're going to be working with a group because uh, you try to reach the masses, right? And um, as opposed to doing just individual work, you can do individual work, but usually in a hospital setting, um, you, you get hired to help facilitate a group. And there you try to get people um, to express themselves when they might not otherwise do that or play an instrument. And it's really powerful when you do music making in, in any kind of group, but especially behavioral health group, when uh, people aren't uh, engaged or talking to each other. And all of a sudden you bring a group of people together and you mm -hmm. bring instruments and you might do some drumming or some in the moment improvisational music making. So everything uh, that music therapists do, I always uh, say is non-musician proof. If you're going to work with a group, you have to be able to get everybody involved, even if they're not a musician, so that the experience can be successful and everybody feels good about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree yeah. with a lot of the things you said. And I guess like kind of going off of that, like how how do you see the trajectory of music therapy like years from now? Like, do you see the field expanding or... Yeah, no, I, I do. I think, uh, you know, right now, I think we're experiencing a music therapy shortage, music therapy shortage. And, um, and so we're, you know, we're all, all, you know, looking for hiring music therapists because the demand is there. Mm -hmm. And the, the demand has gotten higher than the number of therapists we have in the field. And so it so that's, it's exciting that it's there, but it's also hard, you know, if you can't find the therapist that you're looking mm -hmm. for. And so it's a really uh, a great time uh, to be in the, to get into the profession and uh, work in the field. What we're finding when I first started, we were generalists, we would work with 
any kind of population, but as we learn more and more, you know, through through the sciences and through education and through research, um, you know, then the therapists want to become more specialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's some therapists that just like to work in hospice and medical settings. There are other therapists that particularly want to work with children that have been diagnosed with autism and all the neuro uh, di- uh, diverse. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, clients that there are in that arena. It's huge, right? Or uh, some therapists might just choose to work with older adults. And no matter what population you work with, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to know. Um, When a music therapist goes through school and they do their internship, um, we had an internship program for over 25 years. Mm -hmm. And music therapy um, interns are with us for six months at a time before they can sit for their national boards. Um, What we have found is that Uh, music therapists of this generation have to know 12 decades of music or be able to find it really fast because they could be working with someone that was born in the 1930s, but also someone that was born yesterday. Right. And so that's, it's a huge, you know, first of all, you look at the decades, then you look at the diversity of the music and what that brings. And then if you work in an area like San Diego, where you have so many different ethnicities, then you also have to learn some of the cultural music and so that you can relate to the people you work with. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's huge. It's a huge task uh, mm-hmm. for therapists to, first of all, uh, learn the music, but then how to use the music with a, a broad range of people. Mm-hmm. I think that gives me a lot of insight into how, I guess, like how like gen- not like genuine, but like how much work has to go into a music therapist. But I guess my next question, I was kind of thinking, I know you said that um, the field of music therapy, or I guess like in your case, it kind of went from generalized to specialized. Mm-hmm. Are there any other kinds of trends, I guess, that have changed in music therapy, like versus like when you first started versus? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I first started, uh, most therapists worked in state institutions, whether they were at that time, they called uh, developmental um, or in mental health. And then <clears throat> and then uh, the federal law passed. And then you started working with children that were uh, in school systems because of the IEP, the Individual Educational Plan. And uh, then in the 90s, uh, there was a big movement towards Two, two movements. One was towards working more in the medical setting and the hospice setting. And then secondly, uh, private practice. Uh, when I started my practice, uh, Music Works in 1987, I think there, there might have been about five other agencies across the country. And, you know, so it was it was rel- it was very new and there was nobody really to talk to just maybe that person or that person and get ideas. So we just, it was, you know, through trial and error, trying to figure that out. And now uh, private practice is one of the fastest growing areas in the music therapy profession, probably one of the larger employers of music therapists in the, in our profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I true think, across the country. Yeah. I think yeah. like the growth of like private practices during like when you first started it kind of shows like what you talked about before like the field of music therapy expanding and i know like before you talked about how i guess like the there's a rise for music therapy Mm -hmm. um, and music therapists and how there's actually a shortage right now why do you believe that i guess like music therapy is has been growing at this rate or well you know uh it it took uh I think, you know, it took a while for the research to catch up. And then um, 
so that, you know, more and more uh, different professions, you know, started believing in, in uh, the use of music as a tool and as a therapeutic um, tool, especially. And so I think uh, that just started catching up. And then when people in an area start seeing a music therapist work with a particular group and they see the outcomes and how fast sometimes that happens, then that too has grown interest. And so that's, you know, uh, when I first moved to San Diego, there was no music therapy in any hospital, none, right? And now we have maybe three, well, probably have four hospital systems that have music therapists in their hospitals, whether they're employees or contractors to the agency. And then hospice, uh, back in the early 90s, there were very few people working in hospice, very few. And all of a sudden, uh, every hospice wanted to have a music yeah. therapist on their team, whether they hired them as an employee or as a contractor to serve the, the patients that were out in the community. Mm -hmm. I know in our school, like we used to not, we have to do volunteering, but we have to do it through the school. So our school, they used to never offer any kind of like um, hospice or like music kind of related volunteering. But now they just recently added like this volunteering event where if you know how to sing or play an instrument or like even if you're a non-musician, you can go to a hospice and just like kind of like play music for them like in the background so mm -hmm. i think that's kind of like a testament to like what we we're talking about before like just like the field growing and expanding mm -hmm. and i know like with all your experience do you have any like heartwarming stories about music therapy that you would like to share oh my gosh um you know um when i used to i most of my work these days is administrative you know running you know both companies and doing everything that i need to behind the scenes um i used to be able to tell you stories left and right you know when i was out in yeah. the field but i would say um you know one there you know, i mean there's the music therapists share stories all the time um in our team meetings about experiences they've had with with clients um, I, I would say one that comes to my mind uh, that I'll always remember was when I was referred to see a patient in an ICU and the patient was non-responsive and the doctor uh, really uh, you know, thought you know, it'd be worth trying to see if music could stimulate him to come out of his uh, coma comatose state. And so I, I walked into the ICU and the nurse said, well, he hasn't responded, you know, what are you doing here? Right. Sort of, sort of response. And I said, well, just let me give it, give it a shot. You know, the doctor wants to see if the music can trigger something within the patient. And so I happened to have, at that time I used, um, you know, a lot of different instruments, but I had an elect, elect uh, cue chord. It's like an electronic auto harp, but it's just, it um, is, is a very cool instrument, but it's lightweight and you can just put it up uh, to the bed up against a patient. And there's that vibrotactile stimulation that you get from the other side when the, when it's playing. And so I put that up against him. And then based on his age, I decided to um, I play Sentimental Journey because I, I thought that that was a song right. that he might know and remember because of his age. And um, so I just, I started playing that and I sang the song, gonna take a sentimental journey. I don't know if you know that song, but um, it's it's um, a song that was very popular uh, many, many years ago. And so I played through the whole first verse and chorus and then he turned to me and he said, that was beautiful. Can you play it again? And the nurse was, you know, on the other end of the room. She was just shocked 
because he had not responded. He had not said a word. He just was non-responsive before I came in. And whatever it was, whether it was the stimulation from the instrument or it was the voice or it was the song was enough to bring him out. Now, does that happen with every patient that we go to see that's in a comatose state? No, but it was a trigger that worked for him. But that was, it was great. You know, then of course I sang it again and even he even mouthed some of the words um, to the song with me. But we have lots of those kinds of experiences um, in the hospital setting. Uh, and then, you know, if you're working with um, children, sometimes uh, uh, children that are homebound or shut in, and if you do an end of life support, uh, the therapists have some really incredible poignant moments with the child and the parent. Um, especially if they're working, um, doing a legacy project. Um, some of the legacy projects we use with children that are end of life will, we have a stethoscope and so we have the heartbeat. So we record the heartbeat and then we um, write an original song uh, facilitated by the parent and or the child, depending how old the children are, mm -hmm. on top of that heartbeat. And then that becomes the base for like a video uh, production of of the family working together to create this song mm -hmm. yeah that story about like I guess like the comatose patient like I think that kind of just shows like how how powerful music is just like yeah. the fact that like the patient wouldn't respond but then suddenly he hears this like song and yeah. like this popular song and he just like instantly responds like that I think that to me is like so amazing yeah. And, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, it's, it's sometimes you, you, if you if you can find the music within the general general you know age yeah. range that you thought he was when that song was big, then you can probably hit the right music, you know, get the right music. So I don't know if it was the song. I don't know if it was the, the you know, the stimulus against him, but it worked. And um, I'll, I'll never forget that, especially yeah. the nurse's expression uh you know seeing this patient come out of the the coma mm -hmm. yeah definitely and i guess my last question would be like sure. what advice do you have for people trying to pursue like the career of being a music therapist i uh i would suggest that um uh if uh, you know try to shadow uh, music therapists in the profession um try to like what you're doing is volunteer for example, we uh, with Resounding Joy, we have a really robust volunteer program and we don't train people to become music therapists, but we bring uh, volunteers in to work with a music therapist or we train recreational music uh, strategies and we give those to the volunteer to, to go and work with um, a client so that you get some of that experience. Um, you, know, if, you know, if you're lucky, you know, there's a music therapy at your school, then uh, sit in on a, on a, a one hour lecture and um, or, you know, interview people and watch videos, uh, whatever you can do to surround yourself with it to see if you like it. And then maybe not just one population, like I said, you know, more and more therapists are specializing and, you know, you might have an idea that you want to do um work in the school setting, but you might discover that you really like working with older adults and or vice versa, you know, so just try to get as much exposure as you can before you go into the field to make sure you're heading in the right direction with mm -hmm. your career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely like really good advice. Yeah. I think, I guess like I'm kind of interested and I feel like that I would really, that advice like really resonated with me. Where, where do you go to school? Uh, I go to school in Houston. 
oh, okay, I think there's a music therapy program in Houston somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I'll look into that. Yeah, you can, I can, I can let you know, but no, it's great. Uh, and, but I know there's definitely music therapists in Houston mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, for you to be able to either meet with or observe or do some volunteer work for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we had a very interesting conversation today. Thank you, Dr. Royer, so much for coming on and speaking with me. It was such a pleasure. Um, and thank you to everyone else at home watching. And thank you so much. I will see you yeah. next time. Um, I'll come back again. All right. Bye.